You're listening to VNF Podcast, where we integrate actionable interventions, intuitive therapy tools, mindfulness, and technology for today's modern mental health therapist. Each week, we take a closer look at a niche population as it relates to our monthly theme. Each episode is pre-recorded as part of a live continuing education lecture with online CEUs available at mytherapies.org slash BNF. I'm your host, April Neff, LMSW, and private practice therapist. Welcome to today's episode of BNF. Hello again, and welcome to episode six of the BNF podcast. Today, we're going to visit this month's theme, anxiety, as it pertains to children ages three to 10 years. This is such an important topic to me, anxiety. It's something I personally struggle with, which is why I spent so much time reviewing the content. Before we dive right in, let's review just for a moment how independent study and podcasts work. This is the second episode for the month, so completion of all four weeks listening will award CEs for the time duration if you are listening to just the podcast. The KSBSRB has confirmed they will award CEs in increments of the quarter of the hour or 0.25, 0.5, 0.75, and 1.0 based on duration. Merely add the date of the podcast title, time listened to your spreadsheet for full credit to accumulate the first 10 CEs without purchase. If you choose, certificates and post-tests are available for nominal fee for the post-tests listened on this month's blog at www.mytherapies.org slash BANF. This is for those who prefer to keep all those post-test certificates. And if you enjoy the podcast, please support us by purchasing your CE credit. That should cover all of our directions and disclaimers. So moving on. First, let's talk about diagnosis and rule out. For the purposes of accuracy, we want to thoroughly discuss the potential diagnoses that we are recommending. We use the Wiley Treatment Planner 5th Edition and our Holy Manual, the DSM-5, both for treatment planning and potential rule-outs within the DSM-5. It's important to note there are several potential rule-outs with anxiety. This does not go over comprehensively all the possibilities, even within the DSM-5 classification of anxiety and trauma-related disorders, but merely those recommended by the Wiley Treatment Children's Treatment Planner under the subject anxiety. We do intend to begin with a review of the rule-outs of each of the suggested diagnoses. Generalized Anxiety Disorder, or F41.1, Other Specified Anxiety Disorders, F41.8, Unspecified Anxiety Disorder, F41.9, ADHD, Combined Presentation, F90.2, Adjustment Disorder with Anxiety, F43.22. So, looking out our diagnosis and rule out, the first thing I want to do is crack open my Wiley Planner and look at the behavioral definitions. Number one, excessive anxiety, worry, or fear that markedly exceeds the normal level for the client's stage of development. Number two, high level of motor tension, such as restlessness, tiredness, shakiness, or muscle tension. Number three, autonomic hyperactivity. Examples, rapid heartbeat, shortness of breath, dizziness, dry mouth, nausea, diarrhea. Number four, hypervigilance, such as feeling constantly on edge, concentration difficulties, trouble falling or staying asleep, and a general state of irritability. Number five, a specific fear has become generalized to cover a wider area and has reached the point where it significantly interferes with the client and family's daily life. 
Number six, excessive anxiety or worry due to a parent's threat of abandonment, overuse of guilt, denial of autonomy and status, friction between parents, or interference with physical activity. So I just kind of want to look at this and want to differentiate really fast. Within the GAD diagnosis, it states that for adults, you need six of their criteria, but for children, you only need one of their main criteria. Um, the first thing that I notice when I'm looking at GAD is that out of F41.1, you need a time length of at least six months, and that differentiates a little bit when you get to the adjustment disorder where it has to occur within the three months of the onset of the stressor. So with GAD, you need at least six months with the disorders and the different types of criteria, whereas with adjustment disorder, you really only need this or be a reoccurring issue within the first three months of the onset of the issue. So if we have some sort of behavior, they're specifically coming to nailing down that timeline of when this started, what's happening, and when did it start occurring is super important when you're trying to differentiate between the different ones. Um, another one, other specified anxiety, F41.8, doesn't meet criteria for GAD or any of the others, but priority, which is listed. Example, so with other specified, the difference between adjustment, because I noticed there was this really confused the crap out of me. With other specified anxiety and unspecified anxiety, I was going back and forth between them, like, what the heck is the difference, right? Like, one of them's an other and the other one's an other? That doesn't make any sense to me. So I went back through in the DSM-5 and I noticed that with other specified, it applies to presentations in which symptoms characteristic of an anxiety disorder cause clinically significant distress or, or impairment in social, occupational, and other areas. But it's used in situations in which the clinician chooses to communicate the specific reason that the presentation does not meet criteria. For example, other specified anxiety disorder followed by the specific reason. Example, generalized anxiety not occurring more days than not. So meaning that not only did it not meet criteria for GAD because of this reason, but there's a specific reason and the therapist wants to know or wants to share in their diagnosis that this is a reason why I didn't make uh, unspecified this is the reason why I didn't make the GAD diagnosis. This is the reason why I didn't do PTSD or something like that is they had all these other criteria, but they didn't present with this. So they didn't meet criteria, but they were really close. And then on the other side, the flip of the coin for unspecified anxiety disorder used in situations in which the clinician chooses not to specify the reason that the criteria are not met for specific anxiety disorder and includes presentations in which there's insufficient information to make a more specific diagnosis. For instance, if you work in a short-term hospital um, maybe a short-term situation where they're hospitalized for only 72 hours and you don't have enough criteria, you don't have enough information to be able to make that diagnosis. So that actually clarified a lot for me. I really appreciate the opportunity to go through this diagnosis. This actually is very much preparing me for my clinical examination. One of the things that I want to work on over the next year is making sure I completely understand not necessarily the entirety of this book, but understand why some diagnoses are incredibly verbally similar, but I know they have to be different, right? Like we can't have five different diagnoses that all mean the same thing. That would no longer make it a diagnosis. That would make it a, a rough guess, throw it on the map and hope we get it right. So moving along, I want to talk about what this presents like in my day-to-day -day life. In my office, a lot of times the parents will bring in the kid and they're together and most of the time they're pretty regulated when they come in here and they 
only thing that the kid might know is that they're going to see a doctor, they're going to go see a therapist who's going to help them talk about their feelings. I love, love, love when parents actually take the time to try to prepare their kids for this, but not everybody is verbatim able to give a good concept to the kids so that they don't have more presenting anxiety for you and not have anything to share because they're too afraid to share about what they're scared about. When I get teenagers in here, they actually usually have a really great idea of what they want to talk about. Heck, I've got some teenagers over-functioning that to the point where they practically pick me out of psychology today and they tell their parents, call this person, I want an appointment. And I love, love, love working with those kids because they're usually pretty directive and they're pretty social media literate. So they have lots of resources at their fingertips already from their smartphones and from other devices that they can pull from and they don't feel strange utilizing tools that we now have out in the technology info webs to get to them. But looking down to kids ages 3 to 10, even though a lot of 3 to 10 year olds are pretty competent when it comes to technology, I'm going to assume that the kid I'm getting may or may not have trauma or a major life transition which will have me looking at whether it's an adjustment within the first couple of months or whether this is an ongoing situation. Two, I'm going to see a noted struggle in their academic performance. It's a possibility that their life is suffering in different ways and for them, their work is school. Number three, I might see school or even transition refusal. Kids are refusing to do something that their parents have an expectation that they would complete this task. Number four, they start avoiding whatever it is that's triggering the symptoms. So not only are they avoiding going to grandma's house or not only are they avoiding going to school that day, but they're avoiding anything that even collaterally relates to whatever's triggering them. They're going to stop getting in the car. They're going to stop going out, even if it's for something they used to enjoy doing. That's when the anxiety just avoids the car altogether because the car takes you places you don't want to go. That makes sense. And then finally, we're going to see outbursts, resistance, crying, tantrums, freezing, clinging, just refusing any kind of activities that normally parents would expect them to be able to complete. So what do they do? They come to us. They come to see us in the office, right? Okay, let's go ahead and take a break there and thank our sponsors. Hello and welcome back. This is April Neff and we've established we're working with kiddos with anxiety and we're going to talk a little bit after we've got them in the office, we've got their diagnosis, we know we're struggling with one of the things on the anxiety, the five different diagnoses we discussed and our behavioral problems have to do with avoidance, they have to do with transitions, they have to do with staying away from the thing that makes the kid anxious and it's disrupting their family life either socially or at home. So when we go from getting our diagnosis to the interventions, the first thing we want to do when we're meeting with this kiddo after we establish rapport and normalize the behavior of getting to see each other every week or so, we're going to get a baseline. We need to know when is this happening? Is it in the morning? Is it at night? Is it happening every time or is it happening only sometimes? So when? B, triggers. Does it happen during the transitions? Does it happen only before bedtime? What is the first thing we notice before the behavior starts? We've established what the behavior is. It can be tantrums, it can be avoidance, it can be uh, refusals, it can be any other type of just behavior that causes the parents or the child's life to be disrupted in some way. 
And then C, how often? Is it daily, weekly? And D, the intensity. What's the worst that this behavior gets and how long does it last? So once we've got all four of those things, what we should have is a nice little sentence that goes something like this. April has outbursts five to seven times daily for up to 45 minutes, often screaming or using weapons to hit others. I know April's pretty awful, huh? She's struggling. Let's see if we can get her there. Once we've had our baseline, we can always bounce back. No matter how bad something gets, we can review this at eight weeks, 16 weeks, even at a year. And a lot of times when parents get so frustrated with the behavior, we can always go back to, right, but look at how far we've come. On day one, April was having outbursts five to seven times a day for almost an hour. Look at where she's at now. She hasn't had a single outburst this week. So from our baseline, point two, Point one was get a baseline. Point two is from the baseline, form a goal. April will have zero to one outbursts daily for up to 10 minutes. Meaning that as we're working together, we're gonna give her a new, hopefully one, two, maybe three new skills to try and practice together in session every week. And then we're going to implement those at home with a parent check-in. And then after that, we're going to see these behaviors decrease. Again, we can use a little acceptance and commitment to reframe whenever the outbursts feel like they're getting to be a bit much with mom and dad or foster mom and dad. And then also we can always go back to if the baseline is too much, if the goal is just too far away, we can always break that goal down some more, which is point number three is break it down. If that goal is way too much to reach right now, then maybe we should just go from five to seven times a day to three times a day. And we know when those three times a day are going to be because most of the time kids transitions are going to be at three points in a day in the morning when they get home from school um, and when they go to bed at night. We know that we know it's happening. It's going to happen. Those are the biggest transitions in a kid's life. So number four, after we break the goal down and we've broken it down some more to where we actually feel like we can actually hit it at least once a month, we're going to access the client's willingness and insight to change. How motivated is the kiddo to actually change their stuff? And the way we can assess that is different ways and it's very, very different from a three-year-old to a 10-year-old, how we can check and see if a kid wants to do what they want to do. Leads me to the next part is number five, learn your client's language, learn what they value, learn what they enjoy doing, what they have an affinity for, because that's how they're going to communicate with you the best. And if you can't figure out what that means, then you, you've got to get some more training on that. You've got to be able to talk to kids in a language that makes sense to them because they do not have graduate degrees. Heck, a lot of times they're not even writing yet or their literacy is eh, so good. So you've got to be able to communicate with them in a language that's familiar, that they understand, and it actually talks to their values because you can't gauge their insight and their willingness to change if you can't actually understand it. The most important thing today is whether they get to watch their favorite TV show. <laughs> You're not going to be able to understand them if their, their, their interests are completely at odds with what you're trying to talk about. So moving forward, I always like to integrate tech when I can. And I've got a couple different apps to talk to you about. Um, the first one I want to talk about is the Super Better app. It's one, if you're familiar at all with the concepts 
created by Dr. Jane McGonigal. You may have seen her 2012 TED Talk. But basically, she takes the concepts based on the great book, The Super Better. Hold on, I'll get the name of that for you. Super Better, The Power of Living Gamefully. All based on her book, another book called Reality is Broken, where she assesses and looks at day-to-day things that she's been tasked with either through therapy or through improving behavior and improving pro-social behaviors. And she created little tasks, little levels that you can do in your day-to-day life. And you can give yourself points for resilience and points for this by checking off that you've completed them. They have bad guys in the form of the couch monster or something else that might be robbing you of gaining mental health score. I love this app. I love the concept. I love the idea of making life a game because that is definitely the language kids are going to be familiar with. It's turning our work into play. The next one I want to talk to you about is called the Worry Watch, which it might be a better task for the parents than it would for the kids um, because checking them into a device may or may not be affordable for some of the kids that we work with. Basically what the watch does is it gives you a place to document your worry, track real possible outcomes, And then C, track whether the worry was as bad as anticipated. This is really good work and it partners great with CBT work where you're trying to get a kid to be more mindful of whether or not things are as scary as they think they are. And then the third one, again, is probably best for parents to use to coach their children called the ACT coach, where you identify the values, you identify your coping strategies, and then you practice and access how it went. Love Love, love using apps and work. Not always applicable, but when it is, it works so well because while we're only there for one hour, these watches, these devices are there for the rest. And frankly, a lot of us even keep our calendars and our appointments and everything else in our phones and we get notifications every day to remember things. Otherwise, we wouldn't. So whenever we can utilize these devices to actually improve our mental health, I am all over that. Okay, so in conclusion today, I want to talk about how we've acknowledged all the different ways that anxiety diagnosis may present. We haven't encompassed all of it, but we've covered five different diagnoses that may come up as per our Wiley treatment planners. We've talked about how this presents for therapists, how and noted the complaints that we might see are not always what we expect. But then anxiety is a pretty standard diagnosis when it comes to kids coming into your office. A lot of kids struggle with transitions. A lot of kids struggle. And this can present in a lot of different ways given the way that we understand the kids. We've talked about our interventions. We've talked about what we need to find out before we can even begin our work. And I think that's that's really important as a psychotherapist is trying to figure out Not necessarily where to begin, but what information is valid. There's so much that gets glossed over in an intake that if you've given insight to what kind of behaviors will actually trigger or what type of dates and times will actually do that, you can actually reframe the parents' expectations more than you can the kids so that they know what they're looking for. And they're not, they're not looking at the child and asking, what are you doing? They're asking why. And I think that's a big change in the family dynamic. And then finally, we talked about integrating technology, which is always a big bonus of working with me is that I'm always going to look for something that's going to be able to be accessible to my clients in that moment when I'm not there. 
I appreciate you joining me today and look forward to interacting on Instagram and Facebook at my therapies or through the hashtags Topeka Therapist, where I strive to respond to every post. Thank you for joining us. Are you interested in meeting with us live? This last month, we released our first book in the Geek Therapy series, Mana Up with our 12 best interventions for working with teens engaging in the language of the objects of their affinity. Including in our workbook is our best interventions with comic books and superheroes, as well as short documentation suggestions and a chart checklist for easy tracking. It pleases me for the second time to announce our book release launch party on December 6th at Sparkworks. 907 North Kansas Avenue, Topeka, Kansas, 66608. Our new self-help book, forgive me, this is going to be a little bit explicit, entitled Don't Fuck With Me, I'm Grounded. Set your boundaries, gain confidence, and level up your life like a therapist. This book will be available for purchase. Would you like our favorite exercises for leveling up your life? Join us for an author signing at 530 and then a party afterwards. I hope to see you there live and in person. Until then, please remember, whenever things get you overwhelmed, you're not alone in this work. And yes, you are enough. Goodbye, my friends. See you next week. Thanks so much for joining us on BNF Podcast. Check out this week's blog post for relevant links, resources, and homework. If this podcast helps you or your clients continue to share our work with colleagues and consider purchasing CEUs at mytherapies.org slash BNF. Thank you so much for being here and sharing this space with us. Always remember, you are enough. See you next week.